0: First of all, I'd like to say that I'm sorry. I tried to grow and copy Mark's facial hair and to try to keep you guys and allow you guys to be more comfortable. Sadly, that did not happen, but if you guys could pray for that, that'd be awesome because I would love to have some of that. That looks great. All right, I have a lot to say and such a little bit of time to do it in, so I want to get right into this. When Mark came to me, or when I came to Mark and then he was asking if I'd be able to say something, I started to think, all right, what does God want me to say? And so I started thinking about the biggest thing that God had been teaching me in my life this summer. And ironically, it was the thing that was weakest in my spiritual walk. And that was my prayer life. So today, when I go to give this sermon, and I try to spur you guys on to better practices of prayer, know that this sermon is honestly really directed towards me a lot. And that I am terribly, terribly weak in my prayer life. But I'm hoping by God's grace to get stronger. And if you guys can take take any truths out of this and apply it in your own prayer life as well, then that would be awesome. The thing that I realized is that prayer is a pretty universal concept, right? You hear a lot of people in the world, they they know about prayer. They can kind of tell what prayer is. They can have the sense that there's some kind of power around it. But in a lot of, at least in my life and a lot of the lives of my friends that I've talked to, it seems like prayer is such more of a, a last resort than it is a priority. Only when it's at our weakest moment, we have nothing left, and then sometimes we decide to go to God, when in all reality, God should be our first option. But I started to think about this in my life, why, if it should be my first option, why is it not? Why am I not putting prayer as a priority? And then it's when I realized that if we don't have the desire to pray, we won't. And especially in this this world where we live today, where we're so stressed on time, time is of a rarity. We have to go from one thing to the next, responsibilities, and the next thing we know, our head's about to explode. We can't slow down to take time, to make time for God. And so through this sermon, I'm going to give three principles of prayer that hopefully burn a desire to pray and be with the king more, because I believe that if we, if we have the desire to do it, we're going to do it more, and then see the fruit of it, and then want to do it even more. And so with that, I'm going to start with the principle number one, and that is there is power in God's presence, there is power in God's promises, and there is power in prayer. If you guys have a Bible or a Bible app, we're going to be using it a lot today. I'm going to be bouncing around a lot. So definitely have it out. If you don't have it, look to your neighbors. Flip first to 1 Chronicles 16.11. 1 Chronicles 16.11. In this chapter, David is instructing the Levites on how to give praise to God. It says this on verse 11. David says, look to the Lord and his strength. Seek his face always. That's what it says in the NIV. In the ESV, it says it just slightly differently. It says, look to the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Now, I don't know about you. Maybe you guys are in the same boat. When I was told to go seek God's face a couple of times, I had no idea what I was supposed to do. I was like, what do you mean seek his face? It kind of seems such an abstract thought. We can't really... See God physically in front of us. So, what did it mean by seeking his face? But by looking at the ESV and seeing how it says to seek his presence, it shows David showing that there's meaning and there's praise you can give to God by seeking his presence. Then of course, I ask myself, why? What's so special about God's presence? Well, let me ask you this: what's easier to go text or call someone, maybe you know, on the phone? or to go seek to be in their presence and talk to them face-to-face. Honestly, the easier thing to do is probably to text or call them. But then now let me ask, what is more intentional? What is more personal, purposeful, and intimate? Talking and calling with someone on the phone are going to seek and be in their presence. Being in one's presence allows you to be more on the same page with them. There's something about getting to see someone's face, getting to know them and be with them. That's so powerful. When you get to be in someone's presence, you get to see their personality. You get to see who they're like, what they do, what they love. And that's why if this relationship that God wants for us is supposed to be personal and intimate, then we have to seek out his presence. It's a requirement. It's the way that God designed us to be. We're personal, relational beings. And even in our busy world, it's important to set aside time to seek his presence continually. Not perfectly, but just continually. And even cooler is that David is claiming that if we go to seek out God's presence, we actually give him praise. You want to find a way to give God praise today or throughout the week? Go seek him out. That's a way to give him praise. Next passage is 1 John 5.14. 1 John 5.14. The first verse we looked at encouraged us to seek his face. But if you want any more reason of why to go seek his presence, look at this. John says in verse 14, And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. We could be confident in that. Please tell me that I'm not the only one that at some point in my spiritual walk, while praying, I ask myself, am I just talking to the ceiling? Am I just speaking the empty air? I've wondered that before. But after seeing God work in my life, and after seeing this verse that we have confidence in the fact that he hears us, that's something to hold on to. That's something to cherish, to know that anytime time you go to seek God he does listen to you even if you don't think he does regardless he hears us what about this verse mark eleven twenty four, which jesus this is jesus talking to his disciples mark or sorry in mark jesus says therefore i tell you whatever you ask for in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours Now, when I first read this, I thought, wait, that that can't be right. If I go and ask God of anything in our prayer, and I believe and have the faith that he has the power to do it, does that mean it will really come to be? This shows that God has the power to answer our prayers. But a lot of our weakness actually comes from our faith or our lack thereof. A similar verse to this is James 1.6. This is after James encourages us to ask God for wisdom and prayer. James says this, But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. So the issue looking at both of these passages is it seems like we can ask God for something or to do something in our lives, such as wisdom or other good things. But the issue is is that if we don't believe that he can do it or we believe that he might not do it that shows an inch of doubt God when we pray God wants us to have faith he wants us to have confidence not only that he hears us but that he has the power to be able to make miracles but there's been times before where I've read this passage in Mark and I believe I prayed for good things I believe believe that I prayed for things that God would want me to ask. I prayed and believed that he had the power to do it. I even believed that he would do it based on reading this verse. But it didn't happen. Why? To start, I'll bring you back to the verse that we read in 1 John, which states that God does hear us, but if we ask anything according to his will... He hears us. And sometimes it's easy to skip over the fact of when we pray, we need to be praying according to his will. And that's what I want to jump into the second principle, because the idea of God's will can be kind of abstract or confusing at times. I was really confused with God's will for a long time, and I still don't fully understand it. But hopefully these next couple passages will shed some more light on how we can pray according to God's will. Flip to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Starting at verse 24, this is Paul talking to the church of Rome who was suffering severe persecution at this time in the church. And it's funny because when he talks to me, he's encouraging them to pray about the future, which at least in my life is probably what I pray about 80% of the time. I don't know what's going to go on. It's scary. But God knows. This is what he says, verse 24. For in this hope we were saved. Now, hope that is not seen, or sorry, hope that is seen And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. And because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things, not some things, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's a lot. That's a lot that Paul put in there in just four verses. But here's three things that I grabbed out of that passage about prayer. The first one is that patience is crucial. Patience is vital. It is hard to have a prayer life if you don't have the patience to wait for God to move. Barely even have a prayer life at all if you don't contain patience. Why? Because things take time. You go to plant a seed in the ground You could cover it with all the right soil, all the right nutrients, do everything right for it, but yet it doesn't still grow overnight. It takes time. It takes maturity. It takes patience. And no one wants to hear the words, be patient. I don't like hearing those words to be patient. I want to see things now. I want to do things now. I'm ready to go. When God said, no, not ready to go just yet. God commands us to be patient when we pray and to be patient as we hope for the things not seen. But the second point is that luckily, during that patience, and a lot of times our patience can come through times of immense suffering like the Church of Rome, when we feel like we don't have the time to be patient, we're hurting now, we're at our worst. We can't be patient. God promises us that he gave us a helper. It says in verse 26, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit is an advocate for us. He aids us in our weakness and intercedes for us when we're at the point that we don't even know what to pray for anymore. We're at the weakest point where we have nothing left but to just be relying on God. The Spirit is there to give us strength. I think it's a gift that we don't tap into a lot in our prayer. Try to think we can get things done on our own. Why put in so much effort and stress? You could just give it up to the spirit. Third, God works all things for good. It might not always look like that, though. What about when you haven't had a job for a year? You've been searching and praying for it. To look for a job is is a good thing to ask for. What if you look for the job and you still don't have one yet? What if I pray for a family member dying of cancer? I pray for help and healing. That's a good thing to pray for. What if I pray for a family member or a neighbor who doesn't yet know Christ, but yet they still seem like they have no interest, but I'm praying for it? You could still be asking Why does it look like God isn't working all things for good? To be honest, I can't completely give you the answer because I don't completely understand God's methods or how he works in answering our prayers. No one fully understands God's methods. But I do know of the promise that he works all things for good. And for the next couple passages I read, I hope that we can see a little bit more light of God's role in answering our prayers If you could flip to Luke 11. No, wait, yes, Luke 11, that's it. Luke 11, verse 9 through 13. This is right after Jesus gave the Lord's Prayer, which I won't go over in this one, but if you want to look for more advice and strength on how to pray, look no further than the Son of God himself. He gave a great example. This is what Jesus says to his disciples. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, It's to the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, it will be open. Now this seems really similar to our passages earlier that God's promised he hears us, but this is where this is different. Look at this. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will instead give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Isn't that awesome? First, I love how it portrays God as a father because that is his role to us. We are God's children. That is our identity. But if we who are still earthly and don't understand all things, can have at least enough knowledge to give each other good gifts and know what each other wants, knows what each other wants, then how much more is the heavenly Father who knows all things and works all things for our good and is for us and not against us, how much more will he give even better gifts? It doesn't even say that he'll give better gifts, but it says how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? That means for those of us with the Holy Spirit, what kind of gifts are we not tapping into? What kind of powers in the Holy Spirit that we haven't yet understood or harnessed? What's something that we've overlooked that God's maybe given us as a gift that we don't even realize yet? How much more? Now this is, I want to give next an illustration. This is by Pastor John Piper. He was giving this whenever he was uh, a young father. He was sitting in his living room, and his son, who's little at this point, walks over to him, and he says, Dad, can I have a cracker? And so Piper says, Sure. Why not? A cracker's a good thing to ask for. So he walks over to the kitchen, opens up the cupboard, reaches in, gets out the box of crackers, goes to give one to him. And realize it's covered in mold. It's just caked with mold. So, as you would think, Piper looks to his son and says, Sorry, I can't give you the cracker. Son looks up with him with big eyes and he's like, But why? To which he then goes and replies, Because it has mold on it. To which the kid replies, I'll still eat it. (laughs) But as you could assume, Piper still said, no. You're not getting the cracker. But what about his son? His son asked for a good thing. He asked for a cracker that gave him that was that was going to give him nourishment. That's a good, honest thing to ask for. But dad said no. And he could have went, he could have been super upset. He could have stormed up to his room. He could have cried. He could have been mad. He could have said, Dad. Why did you not? He'd be asking all these questions, but ultimately Piper did not give him the cracker out of love because he knew better than his son did. But that's ultimately how it is a lot for us, right? We can ask good, honest things that'd be uplifting for ourselves or for others, but maybe it's just not the right time. I don't know the specific answer of why but god's given us the promise that he knows better and that he works all things for our good and so then i want to spur each other on to look at every circumstance as a gift in one way i can surely tell you that there's a lot of things in my life that did not look like gifts so a lot of things that I was upset about, a lot of things that I asked the question of why, and I didn't get my answer of why. But so far, it turned out all right. guess that's something. And now that I look back on my life, I realize there is a lot of gifts that I did not take advantage or recognition of. Most of the bad events in my life, at least, I look back and I see them as gifts of God, Mostly in teaching, when God's trying to teach me something. In discipline, when there's sin in my life that God knows I need to root out. He's trying to make me better. And when he's strengthening me through suffering, because we know that suffering produces steadfastness. Satan's ready to throw everything he can at us in this world. And if we're not ready to take a couple hits, we're going to go down fast. The third passage, and this one is really powerful. This one's in Luke, Luke chapter 22, verses 42 through 46. This is where Jesus is just about to be handed over for crucifixion, one of the worst deaths known to man back then, still probably one of the cruelest ways of death now. This is what Jesus says, or starts out by saying, and he, Jesus, came out and went, as was his custom, this was a practice, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter in the temptation. This wasn't a suggestion Jesus was giving. This was a command. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and he prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing Remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like the great drops of blood falling to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples. And he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter in the temptation. This is a good example to look at. Is looking at the Son of God himself. Three things I grabbed out of this passage. Number one, again, remember, if we look at the background to this, this is right as when Jesus is about to be crucified. He's about to be beaten, mocked, scorned, spit on, ultimately killed in one of the worst ways possible. And he didn't even do anything to deserve it. He was doing it out of love for us. And it makes sense. And in verse 44, he says, it says Jesus was in agony. Pure agony. What a choice of words. I mean, Jesus wasn't just feeling under the weather. He wasn't just a little stressed out. No, Jesus wasn't pain. He was in pure agony. But what's funny is that when Jesus was in agony, what did he do? Did he give up on praying or did he pray all the more? When Jesus was in agony, he prayed even harder and more earnestly to the point that drops of blood were coming down. This is a lesson for us When we're in times of pain, turmoil, we're thinking, God, remove this cup from me. And this cup isn't even as bad as his his cup he had to drink. He didn't give up on prayer. I think God's not listening. He prayed all the more. But you can still ask, okay, why did he still pray all the more? Because Jesus knew prayer gave him strength to go through what he was about to face. It says the angel came down, strengthening him. I think that's why Jesus made prayer a custom, why he made prayer a pattern of his life, habit, a priority, because he knew that he was not going to be able to get through everything that God had called him to do in this life with Satan trying to throw everything to hinder him back from what the highest part God had called for him. He was not going to be able to get there unless he relied on the strength of the Father. So he made it a practice to go to God and ask for strength continually. And I think this is why he was upset at his disciples, for he had to ask them twice to pray. They were sleeping, which actually fits all too well with me, because a lot of times when I'm praying, I get distracted with something. I mean, I think back to my days being in chapel here at school. The pastor would be going to give a prayer. It's like, let everyone, let's go bow our heads, close our eyes, we're going to go in prayer. And I'm sitting over there, like, hearing the first sentence or so. And I look to God, and I'm like, the Reds' bullpen blew it again. (laughs) Why are the Bengals still in the loss column? But then I think, oh, God, thank you, we're not the Browns. (laughs) Oh, thank God. I feel like I offended someone in here. (laughs) Don't worry, Mark, we'll pray for the Browns later. (laughs) But really... That idea of just sleeping and not putting prayer as a priority. That could be a weakness to us. Because there's spiritual warfare going on all around us. We need to have the weapons ready to take any hit Satan goes to throw. And I would go as far to say that if we don't read God's word, and we don't pray and have communication with him every day, we will not be able to know God's will for our life with confidence. We're going to be walking in the dark every day of our life if we're not making contact with our king who's built us, painted us, constructed us, and given us the gifts we need for his purpose. We need to be in communication, to be strengthened for this world. But most importantly, the biggest thing out of that passage that stood out to me was that Jesus, who was both God and man, surrendered to God's will. This cup that he was asking to be removed wasn't just suffering. It wasn't just the crucifixion. This cup comes from the book of Jeremiah. This cup was God's wrath that he would pour out on all the nations to justly deal with the sin in this world. For a moment, Jesus was going to have to go through separation from his father because of the punishment of sin. And again, he didn't even deserve it. He lived a perfect life. He took that cup for us. But let's look to Jesus' example. That When Jesus looked over, and he looks to his father and says, Dad, if there's any way possible that we can do this without me having to go through this, let it be done. But nevertheless, if this is the best plan that we have to make an impact for this world, then give me the strength to go through it, and your will be done. This leads us to our third principle. Principle. And hopefully now if you have a little bit more desire to want to go seek God because you know there's power and you want to go seek God to pray and be in communion with the king if we're going to pray then why not pray for big things why not pray for each other this leads us to our last couple of verses the next one is Ephesians 6:18 Ephesians 6:18 This is Paul talking about the armor of God, which, by the way, prayer is listed among those. This is what Paul says. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. We can pray on all occasions, anywhere and everywhere. Joshua 1 9 says this too that God is with us wherever we go. We don't have to feel like we can only pray in a church or be refined in a building. We don't have to feel like we can only pray before we go to eat. We don't have to just pray before we go to bed. We could pray anytime, anywhere, with all kinds of prayer and requests because God wants to spend time with us not just every day God wants to spend time with us all day because he loves us secondly I love how this says that we could pray with these all kinds of requests but we can also pray for the Lord's people why just pray for ourselves when we could pray for our neighbors Why just pray for ourselves when we can pray for the church? Why just pray for ourselves when we can pray for the sin and the hurt going on in the world? For God to be a light to people who need it the most. We have a job to do. We have the privilege to get to pray for each other. So if we know that God hears us, then why ask For a big God who created the universe, who created you perfectly and designed you the way you were supposed to be, with this big of a God who defeated death, with that big of a God, why would we ask him to do small things? Why would we ask him to answer baby prayers when he can answer prayers that only the God of the universe could answer? And why pray for a few things? we could pray for God to do a lot of things. And imagine if everyone in this room left praying for the change of this world and for the hearts of one another. And what if, like in Colossians 1, verses 9 through 10, where Paul says, and so from the day we heard, maybe it's hearing about someone's afflictions. Maybe it's hearing about pain going on in the world. From that day you heard, we have not ceased to pray for you asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. It's easier for me, even as I was writing this sermon out, I was writing this out and thinking, yeah, God, yeah, let's pray, let's go do it. And then just a couple minutes later, I get distracted and realize I didn't pray at all that day because it's hard but God doesn't always ask us to do the easiest things. Prayer has the power to change the world. If only we would start making it a priority and collectively doing it as the church. This also reminds me, let me ask, when's the last time that you asked someone how you could be praying for them? And then when's the last time you asked someone how you could pray for them? You actually paid attention to their response. Then you actually remembered it. And then you actually kept praying for it. That's not evident in my life. That's something I'm trying to work on. But it's weak. But I know that if I could start doing that, I know that if the church started doing that for everyone, we could be impacting so many more people's lives. There's one wraps on... I love this. This is by the artist Annie Minio. In one of his songs called Superhuman, he says this. We dress up in nice heels. We try to make people buy them. That's why when someone asks how we're doing, we tell them, fine. Knowing we're really hurt inside. But tell me who's really lying. They don't want to know how you're doing. That costs time. That struck a nerve with me. Because when I go to, if I do ask someone how I could be praying for them, or just asking, hey, how are you doing recently, my ears normally just turn off completely. That might be a custom of this world, that we just ask people how we're doing, and the typical response is, I'm doing fine, and we leave the conversation at that. But that's not what Jesus has called us to. We're the church, we're different. We're supposed to be caring for one another, helping each other bear one another's burdens. Let's be different. Let's take our example after Christ, who was so servant-minded, so humble, so unselfish, and so obedient to to God's word, he died on the cross for us when we didn't even have to. So I want to give two challenges. That as we leave today, before you leave, Don't dare leave this building without asking at least one other person how you could be praying for them. And I urge you, don't forget it. Because imagine if each person in this room today was going to be prayed over, not just today, not just tomorrow, but for until the time that we see each other again in heaven. What if everyone was prayed over? Secondly, you need—we all need—to block out time every day to be with the King. Give us this day our daily bread, and with this bread, we have to live on the word of God alone. We need to be reliant on what He gives us, and it's we're going to struggle knowing how to get through this life, how to deal with the hardships. We're not going to be at our full strength if we don't seek out the king. We don't pray to talk with him, and we don't read his word to listen to him. At this time, I'll ask the band to come up. Today, we're going to be taking communion. And before we do that, I'd like to read again from the passage in Luke Luke 22 verse 42 He said, "Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done." This custom of communion that Jesus wanted his followers to do is just to remember what he did for us. I don't know what you're going through today. But I know that we're all going through something. Jesus promised hardship in this life. But I do know this, that there is no greater love than that. Sacrifice, the love that he didn't have to bear, he didn't have to bear the cross, but he did for you, and he would have done it just for you alone. So no matter what you're going through, know that God works all things for good. He's for us, not against us. If you are a follower in Christ today and you have the gift to be able to pray with him that a lot of people in this world don't have, direct access to the throne room of the king, the God who fashioned you, made you exactly the way you are, I pray that we see that as a gift. We cherish what Jesus did so that we can pray with God every day of our lives. Remember what he did. Embrace his love. Get to know your king.